Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Today's gospel reads like a series of unrelated sayings, a bunch of different ideas that are thrown together in kind of a very impromptu manner, apparently. And there's two different explanations for this, like why it seems as if these expressions, these sayings of Jesus have nothing to do with each other. One potential explanation is that Luke, when he wrote down his gospel, he was bringing together a bunch of sayings of Jesus from different times. And so Jesus didn't actually say these things in one sitting, but Luke is here compiling a bunch of different phrases from our Lord, sort of the way that we have the sayings of the Desert Fathers. The other explanation is that Jesus here is using a Jewish method of preaching. The Jews called preaching charas, which literally, literally means to string beads together, the stringing of beads. The idea is that the homily, the preaching of the Jewish rabbi, must be like a bunch of separate beads that are combined together, but they're not connected, we can say, intrinsically. The Jews held that, or rather the rabbis taught, that you had to linger for only a few moments on a particular topic before you went on to something else. Because people get distracted if you kept on going on and on about the same thing. And so it's possible Jesus was simply following that method of Jewish preaching. But today, however, you know, in the 21st century, the ideal is that we have one single idea in a particular book or talk or presentation. You want to sort of have a unity, an intrinsic unity in what is being expressed. So we're not going to be able to look today at everything that Jesus said in today's gospel. Instead, we're going to focus in upon one of the things that Jesus said. The one thing that Jesus said, which is arguably the most famous of Jesus' phrases or teachings or expressions. It's something which is known almost too much. People are too well aware of this particular phrase of our Lord. People inside the church and also outside the church. The words of our Lord about judging our neighbor. Because oftentimes these words of Jesus Christ are quoted as if they'd represented the entirety of the Bible's teaching. And it's used also, it's rather, it's abused by an attempt to shut down any conversation about what is right or wrong. And many Christians take these verses, these words of our Lord about not judging, as a command to be silent in the face of evil, as if you could never identify anything anybody does as wrong. And it sort of seems that at face value, that's what our Lord is saying. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye? Do you not perceive the wooden beam in your own? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove that splinter in your eye, when you do not even notice the wooden beam in your own eye. You hypocrite, remove the wooden beam from your eye first, then you will see clearly, clearly to remove the splinter from your brothers. Last Sunday we heard Jesus say it more concisely. Stop judging and you will not be judged. Now, anytime the church as a whole or individual members of the church bring up the wrongdoing of somebody else in society or in their personal lives, 
this verse is immediately brought up. How dare you say that they're doing something wrong? You are being judgmental. The Bible says do not judge. Who are you to judge your neighbor? And so people try and silence the church with this particular teaching. And one biblical commentator, actually, uh, who, he's a Protestant, but he tends to be pretty faithful to the text. This one biblical commentator erroneously asserted the following. Jesus taught that we have no right to criticize unless we ourselves are free of faults. And the logical conclusion, according to this exegete, that simply means we have no right to criticize at all. And unfortunately, to a large extent, this tactic, this tactic has worked. Many people are nervous about ever calling out other people for their wrongdoings, about ever saying evil is in fact evil, about pointing out the wrong in somebody else's actions. We are shamed into silence, and we are called to be tolerant instead. In our society, tolerance is one of the few virtues, and being judgmental is one of the few vices. But what does Jesus really have to say about judging or critiquing other people? He does not say, never criticize somebody even when they're wrong. That's not the words our Lord used. He doesn't say, abstain from every negative appraisal of another person's actions, or never conclude that evil was done. Our Lord doesn't say that. In fact, we know he never would have said it because that very idea of never correcting anybody is incompatible with love. Because it truly is loving to bring up the, the shortcomings of your neighbor at times. For example, if you have a friend who is struggling with some sort of addictive habit or practice, or maybe they're just being lazy, maybe they're maybe something more serious, like they're involved in uncontrolled the drinking of alcohol, it's loving to bring that to their attention, to say, look, I've noticed this about you, and I think it would be helpful for you if you were to stop. That's what the whole basis of an intervention is, after all. Or if you've got, if you're riding with a friend, or you see a friend, they're driving recklessly, and they're, you know, setting themselves up for an accident, it's loving to bring to their attention, you're going to get yourself hurt. You're going to fall off the cliff one day. In fact, here at, um, in Emmitsburg at the seminary, the, the seminarians have this practice where every, once a year they, they do peer reviews and they sort of like grade each other. And they sort of say things like, okay, you're doing really well. I've seen you do really well in this area. You're really outgoing. You're really friendly. You're really helpful. But then they also are required, actually I might not be correct about that, but they're encouraged to bring up shortcomings of their brother seminarians for the sake of the brother seminarian, for the sake of helping that brother seminarian to grow, to improve, to become a better seminarian. And it's not like, okay, now you guys can just let loose on each other and just let each other have it. It's an act of charity. It's good for the other guys to hear what their brother seminarians have to say about them. In fact, it's not just something which we could do or get away with. Correcting our neighbor can be an act of charity. It's one of the, correcting the sinner is one of the seven traditional spiritual works of mercy. We have here on the glass, stained glass window the seven traditional corporeal works of mercy, 
burying the dead, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, but there's also spiritual works of mercy. And one of the spiritual works of mercy is correcting the sinner. St. Thomas Aquinas identified it as an act of charity. He said, fraternal correction, properly so called, is directed to the amendment of the sinner. Now, to do away with anyone's evil is the same as to procure his good. And to procure a person's good is an act of charity, whereby we wish and do our friend well. That is to say, if you have love, you're trying to do good for your neighbor. And if you get rid of your neighbor's evil, you're doing them good. Getting rid of the evil is the same as doing the good. And so if you get rid of the evil by correcting them, that is an act of charity. Now, that does not mean that you can go about and sort of make any kind of judgment whatsoever about different people. That's not what our Lord is sort of giving us free reign to do. There are certain things that we can judge and other things we cannot judge. I one time heard it explained very simply like this. Let's say, for example, Johnny punches Sally in the playground, right? Kindergarten. Physical assault on a fellow kindergarten student. The teacher, or whoever is on yard duty, has the right to say, Johnny, you did something wrong. Don't do that. That's not being judgmental. Or, again, if Johnny in the classroom says, two plus two equals five, the teacher has the right to tell Johnny, you're wrong. That's incorrect. That's not being judgmental. It would be sinful, it would be wrong for the teacher to therefore conclude, Johnny, you're a bad person because you hit Sally and you said two plus two equals five. You are bad. That's not something we can say. That judgment belongs to God alone. God alone sees the heart. God alone knows the guilt. God alone is the one who will ultimately determine the culpability of our, for our actions. And so, for example, using a very contemporary example, we can look at what Russia is doing in Ukraine now and say, that's wrong. That should not be happening. This country should not be attacking this other sovereign nation. That's an injustice. Russia is wrong to do that. That's a fine judgment to make. You cannot, however, say Russians are evil. Putin is evil. He is a bad person. You can say what he's doing is wrong, but you cannot then jump to the conclusion that this individual is evil. And that's a tough distinction to make because we want to hate the sin but love the sinner. And we have trouble doing that. We should hate what is done wrong, but we should love the person who's doing it. Pope John Paul II said that in his encyclical on morality. He said, concrete kinds of behavior, so specific things we do, could be described as right or wrong without it being thereby possible to judge the morality, without it being thereby possible to judge as morally good or bad the will of the person choosing them. So we can say Johnny did something good or Johnny did something bad, but we cannot say Johnny has a bad will. He's got a bad faculty that makes decisions. He's, he's a bad person. So we love the sinner and we hate the sin. What Jesus is telling us to do here in today's gospel is before we do that, 
before we go about calling out Johnny and Russia and our neighbor and our spouses and everybody else around us for their wrong actions, before any of that should happen, we must first work on getting that wooden beam out of our own eye. It doesn't mean you have to fully extract it, get it all out, leave nothing left in your eye, but you've got to be working on that wooden beam. You've got to admit you've got a wooden beam in your eye. There's something defunct, defective about you and only from that point of view can you then go about fraternally correcting somebody else. We love picking up on the faults of other people because if we pick up on their faults, if we see the specks in their eyes, we tend to forget that we got the beam in our eyes. It's a natural human um, complex. Fulton Sheen wrote that our sense of justice is so keen and deep that when we are not good ourselves, we compensate for the lack of it by trying to make everyone else good. Or St. Thomas Aquinas said that we tend to see evil in others or think them to be evil when we ourselves are evil. So we, if you see yourself as being very capable, very gifted at picking out on your neighbor's defects, that says something about yourself. There's one priest who used to say, like, whenever you're pointing the finger at somebody else, you've only got three, pink, three fingers pointing back at yourself. There's some sort of inner logic to that. So before we do that, correcting our neighbor, look into yourself and find that beam. That is to say, make an examination of conscience. That should be a daily affair for all believers. We shouldn't go to bed at night without at least taking a few moments, maybe just lying on our pillows, lying in the bed, thinking about, God, thank you for the blessings and help me to see what I've done wrong today so that I don't do it again tomorrow, so that I can work on it. The examination of conscience is not just for the con confession line. It should be a daily affair. And in this way, when we recognize the moral sicknesses that we are afflicted with, we can start to apply the medicine and we won't be so harsh when we see the defects in our neighbors. May the Blessed Virgin Mary help us to not be afraid to make a charitable fraternal correction of our neighbors, but also to give us the insight to pick up on the logs in our own eyes so that we might also work on correcting ourselves.